Well, hey, uh, thank you for watching. We actually had some technical difficulties this past Sunday, and so we're, uh, we wanted to record because we understand and we know how important uh, the messages from Sunday are, not only for those that are listening, but also because of the vision and values of what we're trying to accomplish, which is we're spending a year on becoming. And here's why this matters. Each of the messages that we do, they connect. And so for those of you who can't make it on a Sunday or who watch us because you live somewhere else and can't attend Zion, I know that there are many of you who follow the messages. And so we wanted to make sure, even though we had technical difficulties this last Sunday, uh, that today or this, this week you'd have the message and be able to follow along with where we're going. Um, we're in our series right now called Holy, Holy and we're in week three of this series and we're reading our Bible verse. And because again, I'm not going to pretend like I'm in front of the church with everybody. I'm going to read our scripture passage. And in fact, here's what I would say. Uh, if you're watching this, if you want to read it along with me uh, out loud, great. If not, it's okay. But we have two passages in scripture from the Apostle Paul. Uh, the first is Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, His good, pleasing, and perfect will. The second verse is from 2 Corinthians 10 Verse 5, we demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ, the word of the Lord. Uh, now, again, we do a prayer that we've started doing uh, for the last probably six, seven months. And it is a prayer of invitation and expectation. And so if you're watching, if you want to join me in this prayer, Father, thank you for the gift of my life. Thank you for your word, your spirit and your people. I have been raised with Christ, Holy Spirit. Help me to set my heart and mind on things above rather than things here on earth. Because of Jesus, I am hidden with you. Help me to offer my body to you as an act of worship. Where I have conformed to the world, show me. Holy Spirit, transform and renew my mind, my thoughts, and my feelings so I can know your will for all of my life. In Jesus' name, all God's people said, Amen. Uh, when I was in my early 20s, uh, I had hurt my back in a work injury and I started going to a chiropractor. And one day I'm in the chiropractor's office and I met this young lady who was about my age and we talked very briefly. I was coming in and she was leaving. Her name was Amy. And, and as we talked, I didn't think much of it. A couple months later, I came in for another appointment and I saw a picture of Amy on a can. And so I asked the office administrator at the chiropractor office uh, what, what happened. And she had shared that shortly after I met this young woman, um, she had been in a car accident and had been in a coma for a couple months now. As I left the chiropractor's office, I, I felt like the Lord had, was encouraging me, calling me to go and pray over her, for her, and to gather some of my friends and to come and sing worship around her. And so I didn't know her or her parents at all. And so I, I reached out to the chiropractor and I told her what I wanted to do and asked if they'd be willing to get in touch with the family. And the family agreed. I don't know if they were a Christian or not. Maybe they were just so desperate to see healing. And here's the thing in my twenties and still today, 
I fully know and believe that God can heal. And, and I really believe that God could heal her if we just stepped out in faith. So me and about five of my friends, uh, we made our way to the hospital after getting permission. And there was a specific wing at the hospital that was dedicated to people in coma or in long-term care. There were uh, quadriplegics there, people who could not care for themselves in this wing of the hospital. Well, as we came in, and I remember the first time we went and I had my guitar and there's six of us standing around and we're singing some worship songs and we pray and all of a sudden her body sits up and she lets out this loud moan and and, and I'm, I'm not lying, in that moment, I'm like, she's healed. I, I thought she had awoken out of her coma. And then she sat back down again or laid back down. And, and I, again, I've never experienced anything like this in my, in my life at that point. And I remember the nurse came in and she said that this happens every once in a while. Within, with coma patients, every once in a while, the nerves just kind of react. And, and it causes these, uh, these actions to happen where they sit up, they'll make noises. But... It wasn't a miracle. It was just a thing that happened. So we get done, and as we're leaving her room, a nurse from an adjoining room, and I don't remember, it might have been the first or second time that we had gone and prayed and done and sang worship over her. And the nurse calls us over, and we walk in, and there I see this man, I'm guessing in his 40s or 50s. To be honest, I'm not really sure how old he was. I was in my early 20s. If you were over 30, you were old to me. And, uh, and he was a quadriplegic and he had a stoma in his neck and she put a cover on it so he could talk. And, and through labored breathing, he asked this question. He said, are you guys Christians? Did, did I hear you singing worship songs? And we said, yeah. And he, and he said, I'm a, I'm a Christian. And he's saying all this through labored breathing. He couldn't move from the neck down. And, and he asked if we would come whenever we were there, if we would come and, and pray with him and worship with him. And we agreed. And we came usually about once a week, maybe a couple times a month. We'd go to the hospital and we'd go see Amy and we'd pray over her and we'd sing worship together. And then once we were done there, we'd go and we met this man and his name was Clint. And I, as I got to know Clint, I looked on the walls and there was all these pictures on the wall next to him of famous people. Uh, this is in San Diego. There were Chargers and other famous people. And then there was a picture of Mother Teresa with them and and I got to know Clint's story. He shared a little bit about who he was and what had happened. Clint was a, a really successful pharmaceutical rep. As he described it, he said he had everything. He had a great marriage. Uh, he had the big house. He had money, cars. He had everything he wanted. And one day he woke up and he wasn't feeling well. By the end of the day, he couldn't move. A bacteria had dissolved his entire spinal column. And I don't know how long Clint had been in the hospital up to this point. Uh, in truth, I, I think it was somewhere around six to ten years. As we got to hear Clint's story, Clint shared that for the first several years, he prayed that God would just take him, kill him. He begged his wife to divorce him. He hated everything that had happened, and I, I can't blame him. I mean, I'll be honest, I don't know if I was in that position. I hope that my faith would carry me through. And, and as he shared, he talked about just how much he hated and was angry with God because of what had happened to him. And something he said, he said, eventually after a few years of lying in this bed and praying that God would just kill me, begging his wife to, to leave him, something shifted in him. And while he, he didn't say this outright, because I was again in my 20s, I, I didn't know these conversations, the deeper conversations. I was just intrigued. And, and he began to share that he began to see his situation as a blessing. In fact, 
he began to encourage people. And instead of just, he still was ready to go home to be with Jesus. But instead of feeling like a victim, something changed, shifted inside of Clint to where now he was encouraging people. And this is why I saw all these pictures of famous people next to him. He became known as a real encouraging person. In fact, every time we left his room, I walked away encouraged. And I looked over and I I saw the picture of Mother Teresa. And I said, Clint, did Mother Teresa pray for you? And he goes, you get this. She asked me to pray for her. What shifted inside of Clint? What happened to him. That's kind of what we're going to be talking about today, this Sunday, or this this week. It's not Sunday. Actually, it's Tuesday today. That's what we're going to be talking about is what happened inside of Clint. What shifted that made him bitter and angry? And, And here's the thing, his body, he still remained paralyzed, but something changed inside of Clint at a soul level. Something that radically shifted in him. And, and this morning we're going to talk about what that was. Why? What made the difference in Clint's life? What shifted inside of who he was? And, and here we are. We're in this third week of our series, Holy, Holy. And we're, we've been talking about the soul. And that the soul is connected to you. The soul is who you are. It's different than your spirit. The spirit is life that God brings into you. Your soul is your personality. And last week we explored the human soul and what, the, what it means according to the Bible to have a soul and how your body, how your mind, how your heart, how your relationships are affected by the soul. In fact, we use this illustration of a stool. If you were to take each of the legs, let's say this leg is the body. This leg is the mind. And then you have the heart and your relationships. The soul is what connects it all. All of it is grounded, connected together to the soul. And what affects the soul affects the body. What affects the body affects the soul. And what affects the body also affects the mind and the heart and your relationships. And and so as we look at this, we begin to realize that they're all joined together. What happens when you put too much emphasis on any one of these things? What happens if you put too much emphasis on the body? At what point is the gym enough? At what point if working out, and and I've shared that I've struggled with body image stuff for years. And I can tell you there have been times I've lost a lot of weight and yet at a soul level it didn't fix me. How many people are going to the gym just thinking if I just lost 20 pounds then I'd feel okay inside but It doesn't fix the inside. And that doesn't mean you shouldn't take care of your body. Your body matters because your body is connected to your soul. But why? How does does overthinking, over putting too much emphasis, same thing as if all you do is focus on the soul and you neglect the body, they're all interchangeable. And and the other side is in our culture today, we've put so much emphasis on, on our body and our minds and all these things that sometimes we don't realize that The truth is, is that the body, even if you focus there, that's not ultimately the problem. It's part of the problem, but it's not the whole thing. What happens when you focus too little on the body or the mind or the heart or the soul? If you focus too little, then it affects the other areas. And so we have to live in this balance, this equilibrium of sorts. And here's the thing that matters is that is if you pay too little attention, it it does throw everything else off. It throws off how you feel at a body level, which then affects your mind. 
and your heart, and which does affect your soul. The last, the challenge I gave last week was this. Some people think too much of the soul. They wrongly believe that the soul is the ideal you and that the body is, is just a canvas. But here's the thing. Your soul has been affected by sin just like your body has been and your mind and your heart. Everything is affected by sin. So your soul is not the ultimate you. It is you, but it's been damaged and affected by your sin and the sins done to you. And if that's the case, then it's no wonder why some people are struggling at a body level and they think if only I could fix my body, then my soul would be at peace. But again, your soul has been damaged. Both are hurt. And so what do we do with this? The problem is your soul is not perfect. It's not the true you, just like your body, your mind, your heart, and your relationships. It's been damaged by sin and brokenness, and the sin and brokenness done to you. And, and a rather significant lie in our culture today is that the reason why so many people feel off in their bodies is because it's not true to who they are. Well, in some sense, they're right. The reason why your bodies don't feel right is because your soul's not right. It's not because your soul's fine and your body's not. No, they're both broken. They're both dealing with issues. And so last week we looked at the importance of our body and our soul, which is why no amount of working out, no amount of weight loss, no amount of surgeries, no changing of pronouns or names, no tattoo, there's no, none of those things actually will heal or fix your soul. You cannot heal the soul by trying to fix, change, rearrange, or modify the physical. None of these things can heal you at a soul level. Only the one who created the soul, who knows you at a soul level, can truly heal the soul, the, the you. Dallas Willard, who I've quoted pretty regularly and will be quoting quite a bit more over the next year or so in this year of becoming, Dallas Willard uses an excellent illustration. And if you have your phone, maybe you're watching this on your phone and but if you have your phone and you look at it, he describes the soul as this. See, let's use our phone. Our phone is the physical structure of the phone is the case, right? It's the metal, it's the glass. The soul of the phone is the operating system. In fact, if the operating, if you don't have an operating system inside of this phone, it's useless. How many of you have an old cell phone sitting in a desk drawer somewhere or in a box that the operating system is, doesn't work anymore. It hasn't been updated. And this is true for us. See, you have a body. Your soul is your operating system. It's always running in the background. It's always there. And, and so if you have an Apple or an Android, and if you have an Apple, you love Jesus. Uh, welcome to the party. For you Android people, I'm, I'm praying for you. I'm just joking, obviously. Our souls are the operating systems of our bodies. Now check this out. I can crack the screen on my phone, but as long as the operating system is okay, functionally the phone is okay. Even if the screen, even if the physical phone is damaged, if the operating system is okay, it still works. It's just not ideal. The same is true for us. Our operating systems can be fine even when our bodies are not. That's my friend Clint. What happened inside of Clint is that at a soul level, something changed. Now, let's continue to look at this. What happens when the operating system gets corrupted? 
Well, it affects the rest of the phone. Even if the outside of the phone looks great, if the operating system is corrupted, maybe it doesn't receive phone calls or you can't access an app or it's not turning off or the battery is draining too quickly. There's all these things that can happen. And because if the operating system gets corrupted, it affects everything else. And the same is true with our bodies. When our soul is corrupted, it affects everything else. It affects your body. It affects your mind and your heart and your relationships. Now, here's the part, and this is why this matters. Often you don't realize that your soul is damaged by itself. You need your body. The things that are happening in your body reveal that the soul is hurt. The wrong thinking, when your mind is in the wrong place, that's evidence that the soul is not okay. When your heart is in the wrong place. In the, in the ancient world, the heart was not the seat of emotions. It was how you made your decisions. It was the center of judgment. Your relationships, those are the things that are kind of the diagnostic tools to tell you that your operating system is out of whack. God created you this way. God created you so that these external things can show you what's going on in the inner part of who you are. Now check this out. Let's take it a step further. If you have an iPhone, which I do, I need updates. And who do I go to an update on my phone? As an Apple user, I don't go to Microsoft. I don't go to Samsung. I don't go to Galaxy. I go to Apple. Why? Because Apple created the operating system. What does this mean for you? Well, the only one who can fix or update your soul is the one who created it. Just like the only one who can do the right update on my Apple phone, my iPhone is Apple. The only one who can heal your soul is the God who knows and created your soul. And so when we try and fix it through the wrong thing, it's no wonder it doesn't work. That's why you can go to therapy and yes, maybe you've worked out some mental health issues, but that doesn't mean your soul's okay. We have to go to the one who created the soul, who created the operating system. Uh, as I think back about my friend Clint, that's what changed in him. And while we didn't talk specifically about it, I remember some of the language he used. He talked about that he began to use that time to pray and, and he worshiped God and, and he still was ready to go home whenever. But until God took him home, he, en he now enjoyed what God was doing through his life. And it was because of that. His body was still broken. His body was not healed. The body that is here now was not healed. It was still corruptible. Last week we talked about the Apostle Paul uh, uses this word in Corinthians. He says that the body is, is corruptible or perishable, which means that this body, this side of heaven, well, it's going to break down. His just broke down sooner. But one day in Christ, just as Jesus was resurrected from the dead, we will be given resurrected bodies. Did you know Jesus's body wasn't healed? That, some people think that. That's not what happened. Jesus died. And then on the third day, he was risen from the dead with a resurrected body, a new body, an imperishable, incorruptible body. And those who are in Christ one day will too have an incorruptible, imperishable body. Clint will one day, he's gone to be with Jesus now, but one day Clint will have a body that will no longer be paralyzed. It will be an, a, an everlasting body, a resurrected body. His body didn't change, so what did? His soul changed. And his soul changed because his mind changed. And so this morning, what we're going to talk about is the other parts of our soul. Specifically, we're going to talk about our mind. 
and how the mind is the primary way in which God begins to work in us and helps us heal our soul is through our mind. And to better understand this, we need to understand what the mind is. See, the body is a physical structure. All of our bodies are different. And our brains are part of our body. But you have what's called a mind. And the mind, while it is connected to your body and your brain, your mind is not your body and your brain. Did you know that science actually cannot understand? We don't know where consciousness comes from. We don't know where thoughts come from. We know that the physical structure of the brain produces impulses and chemicals. We know that. But we don't know where the soul resides. Now, for a non-Christian, someone who's a materialist, they think it all resides in the chemicals and the impulses, and that's it, the electrical stuff. But as Christians, we know that there is a soul that is outside, that is, while yes, it is connected to our bodies and our brains, there is something going on there at a soul level. And the Bible helps us better understand that. The mind is part of your soul. So again, you have your body, you have your mind. Now listen to what your mind is. Your mind plays a critical role in your becoming like Jesus and to God's working and healing in your soul. Here are some of the things that the Bible tells us that the mind has. Ready? Your mind is made up of your thoughts and feelings, your judgments and decisions, your beliefs about God, about others, about yourself. This is why at Zion we have belong, believe, become. What you believe, you'll become like. Those are your judgment, decisions, your beliefs about God, about others, about yourself, your images and imagination, your values and intentions. Just as your body, which includes your brain, was affected by sin, your mind has also been affected by sin. Your thoughts, your feelings, your judgments, your decisions, the images that you have about God, about yourself, about the world, your imagination, all of those things have been impacted by sin and brokenness. The Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 1 wrote these words. For although they knew God, and the, the they he's referring to are non-Jews, Gentiles. For although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him. But their thinking, and what is thinking? Thinking is in your mind, became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. Did you know that in the ancient world, your mind and your heart were intimately connected? And here's why. See, where your mind goes, if your mind is broken, if your mind goes into dark things, it clouds the judgment of your heart. That's why we see mind and heart so intimately connected. The heart is where you make your decisions and judgments, but what consumes your mind, your thoughts, your feelings, your imaginations, etc., they cloud or darken your heart. Remember, though, your soul connects all of these things together your body, mind, heart, and relationships, which is why when any part of it gets damaged, it has an effect on all the other parts. So yeah, when your body is broken, it does it affect your mind? Yes. Does it affect your soul? Yes. But when your soul is healed, you can manage to deal with the brokenness of the body, like my friend Clint. Now, what you may not realize is just how important your mind is to all the other parts of what makes you you. Again, let's look at what makes up the mind. If your mind is made up of your thoughts and feelings, the things that you think about, the feelings you have, those are in your mind. Your judgments and decisions, how you, what you think is right and wrong, the daily choices you make, those are all in your mind. What you think about God. Maybe you see God as an angry, vindictive 
father because maybe you grew up in a, an abusive home. Or maybe you think God is distant. Or maybe you don't trust others. That's in the mind, which then affects the heart or even the view of yourself. The things that you imagine in life, the images that you see, when you look in the mirror, when you think about yourself, the images that you have are all in your mind. The things you dream about, your imagination, that's in your mind. Your values and intentions, what you value in this life, what you choose to do, your daily choices, the intentions of your life, those are all in the mind. Now let me give you a few examples to prove my point about what happens when sin enters our mind and how our brokenness affects the rest of our being. If mind equals thoughts and feelings, there was a very famous philosopher, maybe you've heard of him, his name was Rene Descartes. And he was quoted, his famous quote was this, I think, therefore I am. Rene Descartes, the, the question was, how do you know that you exist? That was the question that was being posed in his time. How do you know that you exist? And Rene Descartes realized, well, the way that you know that you exist is that you have a thought. And because you have a thought independent of other people, you can only have a thought if you exist. And you know you exist from other people because your thoughts are not the same as other people's thoughts. Therefore, I think, therefore, I am. What happens though, when your thinking or thoughts are clouded or broken and distorted by sin, what happens when your mind has been hurt, when your mind is broken? I think I am, fill in the blank, therefore I am, fill in the blank. Uh, famous writer and speaker Jenny Allen reveals just how powerful our thought life is, especially in the lies that we believe. Listen to what she writes in her book. This is from Get Out of Your Head, Stopping the Spiral of Toxic Thoughts. She writes, evil never wants to be noticed. I should mention here, it sneaks in and hijacks our minds and we barely notice anything's amiss. When you and I choose to believe a lie about ourselves, it's one of these three lies we believe. I'm helpless, I'm worthless, I'm unlovable. Now, I think there probably are more lies, but she, she says there are three primary lies that we believe that invade our minds. I'm helpless, I'm worthless, I'm unlovable. Now, think about this. Let's use Rene Descartes. If I think I am worthless, therefore I am worthless. Let me show you just how interconnected your thoughts then affect your body. Are you, are you ready for this? Check this out. When your mind believes that you are helpless, you are now a victim to your body. You become enslaved to things, to appetites, things like food, sex, drugs, entertainment. You become enslaved to these things because you are powerless to control your appetites. But how about worthlessness or if you feel unlovable? It doesn't matter what I do with my body because I have no value. Uh, I've known several, especially in my 20s, I knew several young men and women who would regularly sleep around. And what it came from was a belief that, quite frankly, they weren't worth anything. They were trash. So they treated themselves like trash. That's the lie they believed. They believed they had no value that they were unlovable, so they would sleep around with anybody who would make them feel even just a, a glimpse of love. Why? Because that lie pervaded their mind and therefore they didn't care how they treated their bodies. They believed they were trash, so they treated themselves and others like garbage. Uh, pastor and writer Louis Giglio talks about these lies and he uses a different illustration. And I actually really like this, especially because we're here in Iowa. He says, imagine your mind as a garden. Whatever seeds you allow to be planted in the garden will 
grow. Toxic words, beliefs, stories are like seeds that can take root, grow, and spread throughout the rest of your mind and soul. Now, here's the thing. If your mind is a garden, some seeds just kind of drift in from other places. Some seeds are planted by other people. Some seeds are ones you scatter yourself. And here's what happens. When a seed goes into the garden, if it's not taken care of, that unhealthy, that evil seed will take root and then it'll grow. But here's the thing we know about plants. When a seed takes root and grows, it doesn't just stop and grow. It then spreads other seeds. And these seeds corrupt the rest of your mind, therefore affecting the rest of who you are. And so the problem for us is that we allow these seeds to come into the garden of our mind. What Jesus tells us is that we can actually come in and pluck out those seeds before they take root. But for some of us, for some of you, some of those roots, some of those weeds have already settled in. And you need to let the Holy Spirit and God's Word do some weeding in the mind, the garden of your mind. Think about how powerful seeds of things like doubt, despair, loneliness, worthiness, acceptance. What happens when these seeds spread to the rest of your mind? Again, let's take a look at what makes up the mind. If your mind is made up of thoughts and feelings, what happens when bitterness takes root in your mind? It begins to spread into anger and it affects your judgments and decisions. And you get twisted up inside because that seed took root inside your mind, therefore affecting you. And then it affects your images and imagination. So if you've got bitterness, you tend to see people as people, you're angry and bitter at people. You don't know how to, let, how to forgive or how to, to heal. These things take hold of who we are. How does wrong thinking lead to unhealthy or unholy images and imaginations? Or why do so many people in our culture have such wrong values and bad intentions? And it's not because they're necessarily bad people. It's that their mind has been corrupted by the wrong things. Again, Jenny Allen brings us back and she says, because remember, part of your mind is your belief about God. I love what she says here. She says, every lie that we buy into about ourself is rooted in what we believe about God. She then says this, let's say I tend to feel worthless and invisible. And let's say I read the book of Ephesians, a book Paul wrote. And there I learn that God, because he deeply loves me, chooses me and adopts me. She then says, even if I don't overtly deny the validity of that promise. In other words, I know it's in the Bible. I know God's word says it. I still doubt it must be true for me. I've nodded at the truth, but I never fully absorb it and never let it shape my identity. It's almost like this. If you think you're unlovable and yet tells us that God is love. For God so loved the whole world except for me. God's love is available to everyone else, but not me. God could never love me. Maybe that's the lie you believed. Or let's think about worthlessness. Did you know you were not worthy of Jesus's death on the cross? You didn't deserve it. Jesus didn't die because you were a good person but you were worth it. See, there's a difference between worthiness and something being worth it. Your salvation, you being rescued was worth it to Jesus. It was worth it to God. Not because you were worthy, but because you were worth it. Because he loves you. He wants relationship with you. He wants to redeem and save you. Even our own rescue. See, the truth is we are powerless to save ourselves from sin. We're powerless to rescue ourselves. 
Your help doesn't come from you. It comes from the God who rescued, redeemed, and the Holy Spirit who has made his home inside of you. So when you declare, if you believe the lie that you are worthless, you are actually questioning God. You're actually believing a lie about who you think God is because God tells you that you are an image bearer of the King and that you were worth dying for. Or if you think you're beyond God's love, the last time I checked, God is God and you're not. So if he says that he died for you and he loves you, that's a true statement. And if you don't believe that, then you believed a lie about God. When you move into these things, it affects your thought, which come from your mind, which then impacts how you treat your body. Last week, we relaunched our, our podcast for Zion. And, and uh, we had a friend of ours, who, uh, a friend of mine who goes to Zion here. His name's Dr. Cole Marshke. And, and he's an ER physician here locally. And, and we had a wonderful conversation about the body and the soul. And one of the things he shared in the interview, in the pod, podcast interview, is that there are a lot of people who are now coming into the hospital, into the ER, not because of a cold or flu, but because there's something going on in a mind level, it's now affecting their body. They, it's a somatic response. The word soma means body because there's something emotionally, mentally going on inside of them and it's working itself out physically in you. Your mind has a direct connection to your body, but also to your soul and your soul to your mind. Which then if we go to our verses for today, Romans chapter 12, 1 and 2, let's read these again. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. Just a quick side note. Uh, in the Old Testament, whenever you offered a sacrifice to the Lord, it had to be without blemish. It had to be a firstborn. It had to be the first fruit. It had to, it had to be basically as perfect as things could be this side of heaven. And yet here, Paul tells us to offers our, offer our bodies. Last time I checked, our bodies are far from perfect. Our bodies are full of blemishes as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. Why does God want our body? Well, you'll notice he's starting off by saying, you cannot offer the rest of you if you don't offer your body because your body is how your soul experiences the world. So you'll notice what Paul is saying is you must choose to offer your bodies to God as a living sacrifice in all of its brokenness because this body is perishable. Your body is not the ultimate goal. You must choose to crawl on the altar and surrender. What you do with your body matters because your mind experiences life through the body just like the soul does. He then says this, Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of the mind. This, this verse is loaded with encouragement. Check this out. The only reason why Paul can tell you not to be conformed to the pattern of this world is because you cannot be conformed to the pattern of this world. You can actually have your mind renewed. Now, this blew my mind. I have taught this verse more times than I can count. For the first time, as I was reading this verse, it hit me. You will not have a body like Christ this side of eternity. You won't. Your body, you will not have a renewed, a resurrected body until the resurrection. But you can have the mind of Jesus now. Your mind... You can have the mind of Christ right here, right now. Your mind can be transformed. Your body's not going to be transformed until you die and then the resurrection happens. But you can have a transformation in your mind today at this very moment. It's called the mind of Christ and it starts when you surrender your body to the Lord 
And then you begin to let the Holy Spirit through God's word, through God's people, through prayer, begin to shape you. This, I don't know why I never saw this before. Now all of a sudden, I actually can experience the mind of Christ here. You can experience the Holy Spirit, kingdom healing, power over your mind now, this morning, today, and every day. But here's the thing, because we live in a broken world, I can have healing in my mind. I can have the mind of Christ today. But let's say I leave this space and something happens and that my mind gets polluted a little bit or darkened or bitterness comes in. Well, then I have to go to the garden. I pluck out the seed and I say, not today. I confess that I give it to the Lord. I can daily have the mind of Christ and I daily need to ask for the mind of Christ because just because I ask for it doesn't mean it stays that way. It is a consistent battle. And here's the thing. This is where my everything shifted for me. The enemy knows that the best way to get a hold of your body, the best way to get a hold of your soul, the best way to get a hold of your heart, of your relationships is to get a hold of your mind. If he can get a hold of your mind, he can get a hold of everything else. But once you have the mind of Christ, then Paul says you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Isn't this really what happened with Clint? Clint had the mind of Christ. His body had been, he offered his body to the Lord in all of its brokenness. He said, God, it's yours. But he allowed Jesus to transform his mind and that gave his life purpose and meaning. He had surrendered his body to the Lord and by doing it, the Lord grabbed a hold of his mind, his thoughts, dreams, desires, beliefs, and values. Which then brings us to the next part. Why we need 2 Corinthians 10.5. We must demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. Taking captive a thought means when that you see that seed, that lie that's been planted in your mind, you now have the ability in Christ's name to take that seed and flick it out. You can de-weed. See, here's the thing. When it comes to your thoughts, either your thoughts are capturing you or you're capturing them for Jesus. You must choose to daily capture your thoughts and make them obedient to Jesus. There are four gifts, and we've talked about this in, over the last couple months. There are four gifts that God uses to help you become like Jesus. And there are four gifts that God uses to help you gain the mind of Christ. First is God's Word. You need God's Word to transform your mind because you need a source outside of you to determine truth. Something to cling to. Hebrews 4, 12-13 says this, For the Word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart and mind. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of Him to whom we must give an account. When you read God's mind, God's Word, it shows you the mind of Christ. That's why we need scripture. That's why you need to be reading your Bibles. If you want to have the mind of Christ, you need to learn from Christ. And that's through God's word. But secondly, we also have God's spirit. God's spirit speaks to us. It empowers you to take control, to de-weed, to let the Holy Spirit do that work. Then you have God's people. You need people in your life to encourage you, to, communi- to, uh, to speak truth and love to your mind when you believe the lies. And then lastly, you need prayer. You need God's ear and voice to ask for wisdom. And guess what? When you ask God for wisdom to show you what you should do, guess what he's going to point you to? You ready for this? He's going to point you back to his word, back to his spirit, and back to his people. When I look back at my friend Clint's life, the shift came in Clint because God grabbed a hold of his mind and his soul. 
and he did it by surrendering his body, even in all of its brokenness. He had everything the world considered a value before he was paralyzed, but the greatest impact in his life didn't come when he had the use of his body. It came when God got a hold of everything, including his mind and his soul and his broken body. Just so you know, Clint's prayers were answered. Prayer, Clint regularly asked us, he said, the one thing you can pray for is, he said, Jason, I really want to go home with my wife and I want to die at my house around with my family to go be with Jesus. That's what he said. That's what you can be praying for me. Please pray that I would get to go home and die in my own home instead of this hospital bed. Well, uh, a few months had gone by and just because of life, we hadn't had time to go and uh, sing and pray with Clint and Amy. And so we decided, hey, we need to come back. And I decided to call the hospital to see where things were. And, and I had heard Amy actually woke up from her coma, though she never fully recovered. Clint actually got to go home with his wife and he died in his home and he got to be with Jesus. See, as we think about these things, here's why this matters. God can get a hold of you through your thoughts. Your mind matters. We must guard our mind. And I want to leave you with a few quick things on how we gain the mind of Christ. Because that's really what it's about. Because once you have the mind of Christ, it will affect your body. It will affect your soul. It will affect your heart and everything else. So here are a few invitations. And there's a prayer attached to this. So if you're listening, what you can do is I'm going to say it. And then there's a quick prayer that you can pray with me. Okay. First of all, we are called to guard our minds. Philippians 4, 7. We need to guard our minds. I don't know about you, but I let the guard down in my mind pretty regularly. And so if you're like me, Confess that. I've had to confess to the Lord, God, I'm sorry that I've let the guard down in my mind. And so here's the prayer. And it's simple. You can pray this right now with me. God, I'm sorry I let down the guard to my mind too often. Please forgive me, Jesus. Second, the Apostle Paul tells us that we need to put on the helmet of salvation. Why do we need the helmet of salvation? Yes, Jesus saves our souls, but our souls are connected to our minds. And we need Jesus to save our minds. We need salvation at a holistic level, not just for my soul, but for my body, for my mind, for my heart, and for my relationships. And so here's the second thing you can pray for. It's, it's reminding ourselves that we need salvation to affect how we think about our, our thoughts, our feelings, our desires, and dreams. We need them all to be rescued by the Holy Spirit. And so here's the prayer. Holy Spirit, my mind matters. Help me to trust in your word, your truth, your wisdom to save me and not my own wisdom or the world's. Three, we need to take captive every thought. We've already read this, 2 Corinthians 10.5. There are thoughts that harm your mind. There are thoughts, things that you dwell on, feelings, visions, imaginations. There are thoughts, things that you have that are harming your soul and your body. You need God's word, God's spirit, and God's people to help you recognize them so you can pluck them out of the garden of your mind. And so here's the prayer. Holy Spirit, help me take captive this lie I have believed. In fact, right now, if you know what that lie is, just take a moment out loud and confess it to the Lord. Right now. Holy Spirit, help me take captive this lie. Then name the lie I have believed and now to surrender it to you, Jesus. Don't let that unholy thought hold you captive anymore in Jesus' name. Take it captive. Fourth is set your mind on Jesus and things of Him. Here's the thing. Uh, 
I learned to ride a motorcycle and one of the things I was taught in this class is that wherever your head turns, wherever your eyes are, that's where the motorcycle goes. The same is true about your thoughts. Wherever you fix your eyes, that's where your thoughts will go, which then will affect your body. So if your eyes are set on Jesus and on things of Jesus, your mind will begin to think like Jesus. So stop focusing on all the things that are going wrong in life. Focus on Jesus. Stop focusing on the the things you can't control. If there's things going on with your body, focus on Jesus. Wherever Wherever your eyes go, that's where your mind goes. Put your eyes on Jesus. And here's the prayer. Holy Spirit, help me to pay attention to put my focus towards Jesus, His beauty, His heart, His desires, His will, not just for my life, but for my family, my church, and my friends. I want my soul to be led by the thoughts of Jesus. And then lastly, If you want the mind of Christ, and this is how we're going to end. If you want the mind of Christ, if you want Jesus to sit uh, at the seat of your soul, to have your mind, if you want to think like Christ, daily you can pray this prayer. It's really simple. Holy Spirit, I want the mind of Christ. Help me get it. That's all you got to pray. Holy Spirit, I want the mind of Christ. Help me get it. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, I hope you found this encouraging. And if you know somebody who needs this message, please send it to them. Next week, we're going to be talking about mental health and why God cares about it and how it connects to the body and the soul and the mind and and how we as Christians are supposed to think about things like schizophrenia, depression, anxiety, bipolar disorder. I mean, all these things, they're real. And, And while you may not realize it, the Bible actually has some things for us to know and to think about and how we are to relate to people dealing with mental health issues. So if you know somebody who needs that, bring them to church this Sunday or share it online. Thanks again for watching. So appreciate you being here.